Many people shy away from politics because of a lack of understanding or from disillusionment. But the political arena is important for many causes. At our Evangelicals for Life conference, Travis Wusso moderated a discussion between Tim Gagline, Charles Camosi, Denise Harley, and Shannon Royce about the pro-life movement in politics. We hope this important discussion compels you to join the pro-life cause. Hi, I'm Travis Wusso, Vice President of Public Policy and General Counsel for ERLC, and I am delighted to welcome uh, you to a panel that we're calling Politics and the Person. I have uh, with me here a great panel of uh, seasoned professionals uh, in the arena of policy and politics, and let me introduce you to them. So immediately to my uh, left here, we have Tim Gagline, who is Senior Advisor to the President and Vice President for External Relations at Focus on the Family uh, here in Washington, D.C. We also have Charlie Camosi, who is Associate Professor of Theological and Social Ethics at Fordham University. We have Denise Harley, uh, who serves as legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom, where she is a member of the Center for Life, uh, and Shannon Royce, who serves as director for the Center of Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So, Tim, I want to start with you. Sure. What are some of the legislative uh, wins that that, uh, that we saw over the last year? Obviously, it's a tight margin in the Senate. So, so some of the huge wins, perhaps, that we were looking for and hoping for uh, were somewhat elusive, but, but talk to us about what we've seen and, uh, and what happened in 2017. Well, I think that maybe without any peer or equal, uh, the biggest uh, event, uh, such as it is a Travis, uh, was the nomination and confirmation of Neil Gorsuch uh, to replace uh, the late, great uh, Ju Justice Scalia. Uh, and in fact, when you say 2017, uh, I think that uh, there really is this sense uh, that in the history of the presidency, and this is a big statement, Democrats, Republicans alike, there has never been a single year other than the Supreme Court where any president has had uh, 12 uh, appellate uh, judges nominated and confirmed in a single year. In other words, that is a high watermark. Right. And so uh, I think it's fair to say already that Neil Gorsuch, 12 new uh, appellate uh, judges, right? And, you know, numerous uh, district judges. I think, broadly speaking, in the pro-life uh, arena and what that will mean in the short, medium, and long terms is enormous. Right. Charlie, same question for you. What were some of the issues that you were tracking in, in 2017 and, and what are some of the, the things that, that you were encouraged by last year? Well, I have to say I was really encouraged by a lot of things that happened at the state level, actually, more than the federal level. And I just want to highlight Ohio as a tremendous example of some wonderful things that happened in 2017 at the state level. Ohio banned abortion after 20 weeks. Ohio banned abortion um, in the case where there was a Down syndrome uh, finding. And I think just last week I saw that their Senate passed a bill that will require prenatal children to be buried the same as other kinds of children. So we hope that passes as well. The states are the laboratory. This is where this is coming from. And I think there's a lot to be um, excited about, frankly, of what's happening in the states. Mm. That's great. Mm. So, Denise, as, a, as an attorney, what are, you know, Tim, I hope Tim didn't step on too much of what you were going to uh, say about the judiciary. But in terms of 2017 and what, Obviously, we talked already about some of the judicial appointments, but in terms of the cases that are working their way up, obviously, you guys have a big case 
uh, coming up uh, earlier this year. Uh, but talk to us a little bit about what you saw last year in the judiciary. Yeah, Charlie's absolutely right about some of the legislation uh, coming down the pipeline, sort of the next generation of abortion bills, um, putting the press on the right that was created in Roe v. Wade. Um, but one area that's really important um, in pro-life in the courts is speech. Uh, you know, we, in pro-life advocacy, we stand on not only the gospel, but also on the First Amendment. And it's not just our free exercise to practice our religion privately. It's also our right to speak a message. And, you know, I love that the March for Life's theme this year is love saves lives because we are speaking a message of love and truth and hope and life. And that requires us to be able to freely talk about what we know, what God has shown us, and to share in the conversations on a one-on-one -on -one level. Um, and the First Amendment protects that. So from everything from sidewalk counselors to the upcoming Supreme Court case, trying to restrict the speech of uh, pro-life pregnancy care centers, speech is a battleground, but uh, we, are, we are on the right side of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so Shannon, you're over at uh, HHS, a true bright spot uh, in this administration when it comes to the protection of life and protection of conscience. I mean, it, it's no exaggeration to say that you guys have just had a monster year uh, over, over at HHS. Um, so please take all the time that you need, but talk to us about some of the things that you guys were working on last year uh, and hit some of the highlights for sure, us. Sure, absolutely. Thank you. I think three things that were really exciting from last year, one of the axioms of politics is that personnel is policy. And we have such an amazing team at HHS that is absolutely a pro-life team across the spectrum. And that is playing out in many ways. So this morning, you heard about the new division um, in OCR for conscience and religious freedom. That's huge. What that will mean is that practitioners um, will not be compelled to have to choose between their conscience and their livelihood. And no one in America should have to, have to choose between their religious expression, their conscience, and their livelihood. So that's huge. Another thing that happened that went under the radar, I think, for our friends to some extent, but the opposition really threw fits about it, so you know it was a big deal, is that in our strategic plan, we actually affirmed life from conception to natural death. And that, too, is very significant. So I think you will see exciting things in the coming days, and that's all that I can say right now, but good stuff is coming. <laughs> The whole Administrative Procedures Act. Denise, I want to ask you, one of the, one of the things that Shannon didn't mention is uh, the new rules uh, around the contraceptive mandate. Obviously, ADF and, and a number of other of our uh, partner organizations have been representing churches and organizations whose rights were trampled by the mm -hmm. previous administration's contraceptive mandate. Talk to us a little bit about those rules and uh, unpack that development for us. Sure. So with the rule, um, the rules under the prior administration, ADF, submitted comments um, as to all of the proposed rules, sort of expressing concerns about the constitutional violation and the, the issues for freedom of conscience, um, and have been involved in litigation, and now are hoping to come to a resolution with the new administration to make sure that those uh, rules are not enforced. Um, so essentially before 
there was no conscience exemption. All employers were required to provide abortifacients, birth control uh, for their employees. Now, there is a new rule in HHS um, that we're very excited about at ADF, and that does protect the conscience of any employers who have religious or moral objections to providing abortifacients. Um, they may opt out. Uh, some states have sued over that. Some of the states that we would expect would not be in favor of such a rule. And ADF is now um, attempting to intervene in several of those cases just to make sure that the best arguments are made in defense of the rules and that we can secure the conscience rights. Charlie, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, bipartisanship. You're a registered independent. You work with Democrats for Life. And um, over the last year, how, and, and you might have to take the discussion to the state level, things have been pretty tense in D.C. over the last year, but uh, talk to us a little bit about what are, what are some of the things that you're working on in order to, uh, in order to promote a, a culture of life and, and the value for life within, within both parties? It's a little bit hard when you focus on the sort of, um, well, demand for abortion is the kind of overlap that we see between both parties. And so as a board member of Democrats for Life, I can report that we're working very hard to try to work with multiple groups to try to reduce the demand for abortion. And two things we have on our radar going forward um, in 2018 are um, perinatal hospice is the first one. So as you may aware, a lot of the abortions that are procured as a result of incompatibility with life, a really horrible phrase, um, can be mitigated in some ways if there's perinatal hospice available afterwards. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of, um, frankly, knowledge about this. The centers that provide it are few and far between. It needs resources, frankly, mm -hmm. to take off. And so we're trying to work in that um, aspect as well. A second one might be um, paid family leave. So this is something that I think, uh, de depending on your views on abortion in terms of the supply side, we can disagree about that. Many of us can but just supporting women to choose life, right, giving them the resources to choose life is consistent with both a pro-choice and a pro-life approach, if one is genuinely pro-choice and not pro-abortion. Mm. So I would say those are two of the main foci we have. Okay. And Shannon, I want to circle back to you. One of HHS's big priorities over last year has been focusing on the opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, talk to us a little bit about what you, what you guys have been working on in, in 2017 and, and some of your plans. Sure, for absolutely. Um, we take a very broad view, as I mentioned, of being pro-life. It, it goes from conception to natural death, and that means that every step along the way, we want to honor human dignity. So those who are struggling with opioid addiction, and we do see that across our nation, uh, for the first time we see a reduction in life expectancy because of the opioid crisis. So we have done a whole series of webinars at the Center for Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships just to equip the church and engage the church in that ministry. Um, in your gift bag, forgive the promo, but in your bag, there's a card that gives our phone number and our website and our Twitter page. We would really love for you to look at the webinars we've done on opioids. We're also doing a Wednesday webinar series once a month over this next nine months, specifically on how the church can engage to minister to those uh, dealing with um, opioid use disorder. So shifting gears and looking ahead to, uh, to 2018, uh, Tim, talk to us a little bit about what, what Focus is working on and, and what, you, what your priorities are for 2018. You bet. May I say, um, uh, and I say this with a genuine sense of humility, 
Well, one of the most remarkable developments in the pro-life movement is the development of the ultrasound machine. Uh, it is really the most uh, remarkable and economically efficient tool in our toolbox, right? It is uh, incredible that when you, uh, you know, uh, go uh, to have your you know, early uh, pregnancy exams uh, and you sort of stand back and you're looking at this remarkable photograph. And I have to say that as we head into this new year, uh, Focus on the Family has a program uh, called Option Ultrasound. Uh, and it's really uh, an extraordinary program. Uh, we either uh, purchased outright or we uh, give a sizable grant for the purchase uh, of an ultrasound machine. And we at Focus care about real metrics. By God's grace alone, we are now over having saved 400,000 babies wow. as a result of this single program at Focus wow. on the Family. Wow. Um, and may I say, it, it actually uh, uh, couples itself with every single comment that has been made on this panel. Um, not consecutively, but uh, this Friday will be my 30th uh, pro-life mark. Uh, and the reason I say that is that uh, the focus on the family office is very close to the, to the march route. And every single year, when I look out that window before I go to join the march, something remarkable happens, which is to say the pro-life forces get younger and younger and younger. In fact, the demographic is now extraordinary. Uh, literally, once a year, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions over time, right, have gotten onto buses at odd hours, taken the Excella, taken the train, come by, you know, plane, motor coach, car, golf cart, and they come here sometimes in the most ridiculously frigid weather, yeah. right? Yeah. And by the way, when you live and work in Washington, protests are a dime a dozen, all right? This is the only protest deeply rooted categorically in pro-life conscience. And I, I'm an unbridled, irredeemable optimist. We are winning. Yeah. 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 It, is, it is, Travis, it is now fashionable. It's fashionable to be pro-life. Uh, you know, for many years, for those of us who have been in the pro-life trenches, we remember when it was bad manners in public, right, even to whisper that you were pro-life. Uh, but uh, you go to college campuses, you go to places where the millennials, and I'm the father of two of them, and younger, and I'm just telling you, uh, this is a generation that loves human life. Uh, it, uh, it's impatient for all the right things. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that as this 46th year from Roe steps off, we are stepping closer and closer to the day where Providence will clear his throat yeah. uh, and Roe will be tossed on the ash heap of history. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Charlie, I want to pick up on, on some of the demographic uh, elements that, that Tim was talking about. As you're, as you're looking out uh, over the next year, Obviously, there's a, big, there's a big dimension of what we're trying to do that isn't political or, or even judicial, but it's cultural. Um, how, how are you thinking about this issue? You're an, you're an educator. Um, you have a, a lot of intersection points with college students. So how, how do you think about the task of furthering the pro-life movement uh, 
culturally. So thank you for saying that. I think I totally agree with you. I would offer one caveat, though, which is my, at least from my experience with my students, they're very sympathetic. Even my very liberal New York City students are, are, are very sympathetic, but they're allergic to right-left politics that currently dominates our politicized uh, environment. And so when you talk about culture being downstream, politics being downstream from culture, I really think, especially as Christians, we, may, we maybe need to take a political bath <laughs> and sort of cleanse ourselves of maybe over the last couple of years of what we've, we've accused and um, get back to the basics of what brings us to being pro-life at all. Because those things I found are what are most attractive to my students and to the people I meet in my talks around the country. Let the little children come to me. Don't ever stop them. You without sin cast the first stone. These are the kinds of basic founding building blocks of, the, of being pro-life that I think are so attractive. In my opinion, when we, when we move to the political uh, right-left stuff that, again, has tended to dominate, at least in my experience, I tend to lose my students. I tend to lose the young people that I'm trying to help uh, see the gospel of life. Mm-hmm. And so, so, as you're, so as you're in those conversations, what are, what, you know, a, apart from the left-right kind of discussion, what, what are the kinds of arguments or intersection points that allow you to push past partisan politics and into, uh, into the real underlying discussion? Well, I think a general sense of, and it's been articulated many times better than me uh, at this conference already, especially by Dr. Moore, a sense of the, those who are invisible, those who can't uh, speak for themselves, those least among us, as Christ talked about. My students are very receptive to that, even if they're a little bit sketchy about what it means to be pro-life or abortion. Once you frame the issue of that way, well, who's invisible? Who's thrown away? Who's most inconvenient? Mm. And if you start talking about the refugee, if you start talking about the sick, and then you start talking about the prenatal child or um, a person at, at risk for euthanasia, these, these kinds of approaches, at least, again, in my experience, I don't want to speak for anybody else, um, are, are resonant, deeply mm. resonant. Uh, Denise, as you're looking, as ADF is looking to 2018, mentioned before, you guys have a, a significant case uh, coming up in March, um, but what are so I'd like you to talk about that case specifically. But but talk to us a little bit about some of your policy priorities as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, at ADF, our mission always is to keep the door open for the gospel, and that's one of the things that NIFLA is about. And that is, you know, pregnancy care centers being free to speak the message. Because I think Charlie is right on. This is a battle in the heart and the mind. It's not just on the legislative floor. We win this by cultivating a culture of life and um, explaining to people what human dignity means and that everyone is made in the image of God and how will they believe if, if they had not heard. So I think always our view is how do we keep the door open for the gospel? I think some of our other legislative priorities tie in with what Tim mentioned, and that is that science and technology are on our side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not losing ground. I think Tim's optimism is well-founded. And the more we learn about, um, my baby is jumping right now. <laughs> I'm very excited <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> um, the more we learn about fetal pain and just the development of babies yeah. in the womb, I think the more we are able to uh, have a very compelling message. Everyone knows what's going on inside an expectant mother. And, um, when we know that the heartbeat starts at, at five weeks and, and the things we can show on the ultrasound now, the 4D ultrasounds, and w- the, when we're able to provide those resources for free um, for low-income women who have 
no hope and maybe have never had uh, the gospel shared with them before. We have God on our side and he created science and he is equipping us with tools now that make for very common sense legislation. And the states are doing great work and ADF is, stands ready and eager to defend those laws. Mm. May, may I pick up on yeah, that please. for a moment? First, I, I completely agree with that. Um, shortly, uh, this audience, if they haven't already, is going to hear from the great James Lankford, yeah. who is a remarkable U.S. senator, and his trajectory is sky high for everything that we believe about human life. And he is directly in the line of the great Abraham Lincoln, who famously said about slavery uh, when he was asked, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with slavery, essentially? And he said two things to this point. He said it's unjust. And it's bad policy. That's abortion. It's unjust, and it's bad policy. Uh, and you know whether uh, my, my my favorite New York uh, you know pro life Democrat, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we we have to remind ourselves that Lincoln never won New York. Abraham Lincoln never won New York City, right? Uh, there's hope, and uh, and 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 my strong sense, you know, to my friend's point, is that this rising generation of young people right and left, aided by technology, two and three clicks of a mouse, you look at it and you say, it's a baby, it's nothing else. And my sense is that this generation and the one after it has a remarkable sense of justice and they're fairly practical. They've determined it's bad policy. So I think that in the public square where variously we all work, whether it's the, the classroom, the executive agencies, the, the, the great uh, legal institutions, I believe that the, that the trajectory is going in the right direction because generationally we have members of Congress and we have a remarkable rising generation yes. that, is, that is increasingly making up its mind about a very big thing. Right. So, Shannon, I want to ask you this question. I want all of us to have a chance to reflect on it. You're your day job is figuring out how to uh, connect with churches and communities and and get them in, involved and engaged uh, in your work and in your agenda. So my question is is for you, and, and I, I want everybody to, to reflect on this. What 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 can the church do, uh, and how can can all of us as as pastors and church leaders uh, practically get involved and get engaged? I would really encourage you this year. I'm a goal setter for every new year. I hate resolutions, but I do set goals and I actually pursue those goals. So my challenge to you this year is that you ask the Lord to show you one thing you can do consistently that is pro-life. Be involved in your local pregnancy care center. Donate to your pregnancy care center. Start a recovery group at your church for those struggling with opioids or alcohol or other Um, addictive kinds of struggles. Take a friend who has a serious mental illness out for coffee. That's one of the other major priorities at Health and Human Services is to look at the humanity of those living with serious mental illness. And they're all around us in this room. The statistics would say 25% of the people in this room are touched by serious mental illness. That's pretty amazing to consider. So look and ask the Lord to show you what pro-life step you are to take this year in any of those areas that affirms the dignity of those um, experiencing different things. Wow, no doubt. Denise? 
So I think from a legal perspective, our nation is founded on the premise that citizens will be engaged, informed, and will uh, generate policy out of that, that knowledge applied to their interests. And that's very overwhelming because you know we're flooded with political news. There's so much going on all the time. And, and we don't really love political conversations with people we disagree with, but we need to be able to talk with our neighbors. And so I would say, you know, maybe with the Supreme Court case coming up or some other, maybe some local state law that's being considered in your legislature, take some time and equip yourself with the knowledge of what that law is about. Find out more about it so that you are prepared to make a defense for why you stand for some of these laws and, you know, think about how that fits with your bigger worldview and your, you know, our belief in the Lord. And that will be a, a door for the gospel and hopefully an opportunity to do something in a conversation with your neighbor or your colleague um, and to feel a bit more engaged with what is going on in the court system than in the legislatures right now. Charlie? So in graduate school, uh, we had a lot of fun arguments. And um, one of the arguments we used to have was um, I would do my pro-life thing where I said we need to give uh, prenatal children equal protection of the law. And some of my Howard Wasserian friends would say, how about we Christians just stop having abortions first before we do this? And I think that's really, and I, I, I still think we need to do both. But I, if we're talking about what the church can do beyond what we're all doing here already, Dr. Moore gave us some very interesting insights this morning, I think, about what Christians often say to themselves and say, I'm the exception or we're the exception. If you just talk to people who provide abortions, they will say, I don't know how true it is, but they'll say a lot of the people coming through our doors are pro-life or explicitly Christian or even hardcore Christian. So maybe one thing we can do in addition to what we're doing already is think about our own communities. Like how, how welcoming to life are we in our own communities? Who is at risk for abortion in our own communities? And reach out to them as well. Well, that's a good challenge. Tim? Yeah, I, I echo that. I think our call in the pro-life movement is to go tell a new generation. Hmm. Uh, you know, at the height of totalitarian communism, uh, the, the great writer George Orwell, right, he said the first duty of an intelligent person is to restate the obvious. And we have now, you know, variously uh, three to four generations who have been directly or indirectly touched by abortion. That's big. And so we have to assume that millions and millions of our countrymen and women have been negatively impacted yeah. uh, by abortion. Yeah. And so I think tenderly, gently, with great diplomacy, nuance, you know, in the, in the loving form of Jesus Christ, you know, no knuckles in the chest, right? We have to be able to have a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be able, perhaps, to go to unconventional places. Yeah. And as we're sharing the good news, celebrate the beauty and the miracle of life. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, to, to, to the points that have been made, if we don't uh, cement ourselves into some ideological barrier, right, and we do not preoccupy ourselves with the building of more walls, I think we will be very pleased by the bridges that we build. Mm -hmm. And I think that in this generation of young people, uh, we will find a lot of currency for the pro-life movement. And frankly, uh, I think that we're going to see uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the streets tomorrow. Wow. May it be so. Please join me in thanking our panel.
Beginning in February, Trillian Newbell will host a special series called Better Together. Stay tuned in the coming weeks to find out more about this powerful series. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Podcast and leave us a review while you're there. Come back next week to hear a candid discussion about being a wife and a mother.